Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! Would you please tell him that instead of presents this year, I just want my family back. Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? It must be magic. I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. Nobody's walking out on this fun, old-fashioned family Christmas. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? True, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Welcome back to another spooky edition of Tis a Podcast, the podcast that's determined to keep the Halloween spirit alive one month per year and the Christmas spirit alive the rest of the time. I am Anthony. I'm Julia. I'm Tom. And I'm Jay from Filmstrip Podcast. Jay's back. Yay. Hello. We love it when Jay comes to visit. Hey, because then people can't tell us we are under-researched and under-prepared because Jay brings all the knowledge. Uh, they definitely still tell us that, but they won't say that Jay is. I don't know about all that, uh, but uh, I'd They'll say Jay really brings it. you up, guys. <laughs> I appreciate that. It's always good to, to talk with you guys. I think the last time I was supposed to, we were going to do some shark movies that were Christmas ready and then a migraine inter- interfered. So um, I hated that. I missed that good time, but uh, always good to, <laughs> to jump in here on spooky month. And Anthony, you just made an appearance over on the uh, film strip with me and we had a good time. So always, always yeah. fun to do. Talked about that excellent movie smile. Yeah. Yeah. That was a little impromptu. I went and saw that and literally walked out of the theater Sunday afternoon. Like who can I just do an episode with real quick? I know Ron hasn't seen it yet in that time. No, he Lindsay has. Let me just message Anthony and see if I chance he's watched this. And he's like, yeah, I'm not doing nothing. Sure. And I'm like, oh, sweet. So yeah, that was, that was how that went. But yeah. But yeah, oh, good time Anthony. always. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. See, some people appreciate me and my cussing, y'all, because not to brag, <laughs> listeners, but I am only one of three episodes of Film Strip of cro- across 10 years that didn't have to be edited. Yeah, yeah. One of the zero edit clubs. The others are The Last Jedi, um, which uh, is also one of the longest episodes ever. But Kurt and Nick and I just went with it and had such an interesting conversation. I just left it. And one of the Halloweens that Brian and I did, I don't think I had to cut anything out of. But everything else has at least had you know, a snip or two. There's like a larger club of like two to three edit you know, shows and, and stuff. And that should be said that Filmstrip is one of the loosest edited movie podcasts maybe ever. If you go back to the early days of the show, you can hear them. Like it's like a hatchet cutting the thing apart. And then <laughs> I was just like, yeah, I don't know. Just kind of let it roll. It's supposed to sound like people sitting around talking anyway. And it, and the more you know, we got used to people and uh, got used to each other, it, we didn't have to cut that much of it. But uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed that. But I, when I noticed that uh, putting the show out, I was like, I got to tell Anthony he made the, the the list today. That's like a employee of the month club or something. <laughs> so, yes, it is. Feet. Yeah. Well, so. you know who has never had a zero edit episode? this podcast and it is 100 because of anthony <laughs> we like our family rating yeah and if we if we i don't know if we'd be allowed on itunes we'd probably be the most vulgar podcast on itunes if we didn't let anthony out having listened to some of kevin smith's work i can assure you you're far far from that opportunity uh, i'm waiting for kevin smith to get the nc17 rating on a podcast somehow 
<laughs> it's going to happen one day. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I know he has like a lot of downloads, but do people actually listen to any of that? And can you for five hours? I don't know. I, I wonder. I talk, you know. talk about a podcast that needs editing. All of his stuff. <laughs> his stuff needs some serious editing. His whole and no, I don't think anybody can listen that long. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I'm... I, he, he, I'm a reformed Kevin Smith. Uh, I don't know if I was ever a fan. I watched Clerks because it was in my age time and you know college. And then uh, Mallrats, I was like, eh. and then I saw Chasing Amy like everybody else. I was like, oh, this is the coolest thing ever. Gen X rules. Ooh. And then I just sort of waited for him to make a good movie. And I, I'm still waiting. And I don't oh. think he's made another good one in a long time. And you, and don't, I, you, I, don't, you don't think that Tusk was a masterpiece? I watched eight minutes of that and walked out and said, nope. <laughs> Um, didn't walk out of the theater i was like nah we're not gonna we're not gonna finish that today or or ever and um i uh i think the the movie i really gave up on kevin smith on was red state uh, because i think the premise to that is quite interesting and it's really disturbing but then right at the moment when the movie could be cool it does the wimp out thing and i just i i'm like no like this is, it should have all gone the other way but anyway that's another day on donahue i could i could talk about that all day but yeah, I'm not a big Kevin Smith fan. I, I mean, he's got his place. I do think he is a better storyteller than he is a movie maker. Like his like evening with Kevin Smith stories and stuff. Some of those yeah. are hilarious. I mean, he does. Those are really fun inside Hollywood stories. And I do appreciate that he doesn't take himself seriously because I mean, how can you? <laughs> so, but I appreciate that about him. I'm like, okay, like I, I can go along with most of that. And he does tell some pretty interesting stuff and some inside Hollywood stuff because he's a Garen. But um, I don't really keep up with him. Somebody told me Clerks Three was out now, and I was like, "There's a third one." Yep. Like I remember the second one, but I did not even know they were doing that again. And I said, "Clerks, Clerks Our, Three uh, came out last month." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our friend of the show, Ryan Boss, Musk mm-hmm. Bosch. I never know how to pronounce his Bosch. name. And- Bosch, yeah, there we go. And his wife Sarah went to the premiere oh. in Jersey. Oh, so it was surprisingly fun. an emotional movie. I've which... been told that it has like a twinge to it, but I, it's one of those I'm like, I'll wait till it's streaming somewhere, and I'm you know, have two hours and want to want to go back but, to that world. But I quote the movie we're covering tonight. I'll wait for video. I think <laughs> I think Clerks Two was the last thing he did that I liked, and that was what 2005. Yeah, that was a while ago. Yeah. I liked that mostly just because Rosario Dawson uh, was funny in that, and I, I kind was. of appreciate her. I like her, and I like her energy, and so I thought that she kind of classed up the joint a little bit. <laughs> that whole dance sequence was fun. I'm like, yeah, you know what? That that took a little bit of work to do. I'll give Kevin credit for that, but yeah, <laughs> it was. But you also see, uh, you know, I don't know. I still didn't think it was as good as the first one. And and the stuff I've seen since, I mean, I saw what, like you said, there was Red State, that yoga movie. Yoga Hosers, yeah. Tusk. Yoga Hosers. Yeah. Tusk. Tusk. Jay yeah. and Silent Bob's. What was the one he did with Bruce Willis and Tracy Morgan, the cop cop out, or I think that's what uh, it was called. Cop yeah. out, cop yeah. out, cop out. Yeah, cop out. That's that was that, I knew that was bad though. And he just did that for yeah, he just worked. He needed money. But, I mean, the, the thing is, like, and I didn't realize this until years later, like, Kevin Smith has done a lot of script work in Hollywood and does a lot of punch-up stuff, particularly yeah. for a certain, like, genre and era of movie. And if you know that he's working on something, you can hear it 
you know, like, yo, that's probably that Kevin, is Kevin Smith. Smith. Yeah. You know, like Tarantino's got a style and you can go back and catch some of those and Joss Whedon's stuff, you know, it has a touch. Joss Whedon, you can always tell when he's always tell. And, and yeah. tonight's writer too, Kevin Williamson has a teenagers that speak like literature majors at all times you know (laughs) that's i mean it's um yeah that's very very fun but speaking of gen x like we're we're right in the middle of gen x world this is my college years right here gang gosh that was a whole trope in the in the 90s right you had Mm -hmm. you had uh williams you had uh dawson's creek i mean Uh all of those kids were talking like they were they were i guess dawson's creek was even worse they were like 35 year olds sitting didn't like williamson work on dawson's creek he he created he did. It. He did. yeah he was doing that getting that off the ground when this was being yep. made so and that's what um, made me think of that's what made me think of him or think of dawson's creek yep which yep. i don't know if i told y'all uh a couple of my friends and i were really into dawson's creek and our junior level english three AP teacher would give us like five to eight minutes at the beginning of every, th- you know, Thursday morning to discuss Dawson's Creek as a class. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, gosh, I will say I'm, I got into Dawson's because it was, it's in that same realm as, you know, Buffy and, and all that yep. that was going on and party of five, party of five, maybe a little later, but all that kind of same, you know, era of television. So I watched, I think I watched two or three seasons of Dawson's before I kind of, you know, pieced out on it, but I did come back for the end because I wanted to see like what are these 40-year-olds gonna do as they act like they graduate from high school now or whatever. <laughs> I had to know, but uh I felt like I hadn't missed anything. I was like, oh yeah, sure, you know, but yeah, it's it's fun. So uh, some I, fun stuff off of that. But I loved I loved the cast though. James Vanderbeek, Katie Holmes, oh, I, Joshua Jackson, Michelle Williams, they were just great. There's like a whole era of movies Harrison from the late Rome. 90s to the early 2000s that they are all littered in and you can yep. just see them and, and it's just fun. Like, you know, everything from like Varsity Blues to the Skulls. Halloween uh, H2O. Halloween H2O, oh, H2O. Yeah. yeah. This movie, Screams it. Yeah, all the, all these <laughs> other things that yeah, we're, we're doing. I mean, there's just a ton of those. Urban legend. Oh, I loved how... <laughs> Urban I love how, oh gee, that's a terrible movie. We're talking about going into the bargain bin. <laughs> I saw it in theaters though, so I can't sit here and act like I'm high and mighty. I mean, I did go and see it. So, and the Josh, sequel. Joshua Jackson's had a real career. Katie Holmes did some good stuff afterwards, but James Vanderbeek at this point just makes fun of himself, and I love yes, it. He's awesome yeah. for it. I am he's all so here funny. for his like dad energy with that. Like he's so yeah. funny about it. And I love that he will just break it out. Dude. Joshua Jackson was in this that one of the weirdest like American adaptations of a Japanese horror movie where like this ghost girl is like sitting on his shoulders and his neck's always hurting or something. it's some random. Hey, what movie was that? Yeah, I don't remember that now. I, yeah. I just remember that was the premise and he's married to like Rebecca Romaine or something like that. And I'm like, what, what is that? I mean, I, but I was like, well, obviously this is in like the, the wake of the ring and, and everything that happened after that. And I was like, well, okay, so we're just going to take all those properties now. And we're watching it going like, this is so dumb and then i saw the japanese and i was like oh this is actually really creepy no wonder it, it stinks and you know we we mcdonaldize it over here and it's it's awful but you know it's thus is our culture that's for sure that's for sure did mighty uh, ducks have any christmas elements at all it's like no oh, isn't that a bummer sadly. that's yeah. a bummer yeah. speaking of josh you Jackson, would I'd love think. To the mighty ducks. yeah you would that's a think. missed opportunity 
because they have that big winter carnival but it actually takes place in february like all i know is it's got lane smith as the evil other coach and like he may be one of the best evil like other coaches in a sports movie ever i love him he's almost as good as the guy that played mayday in animal house um who's had an incredible career gosh i can't believe i forget his name but um he played this coach opposite Goldie Hawn in a movie called uh, Wildcats with Michael T. Williamson and Wesley Snipes. And she's like this football coach and she gets this job as a football coach and he's the rival coach. And he's just this huge jerk and he's so good at it. And I'm like, <laughs> man, this guy, like he looked like a coach I had in high school. So it was funny. So, but yeah, it's uh, all, all I know is I listened to a good episode of disorder recently, just the disorder podcast, the Disney film podcast uh, where they mm-hmm. covered the mighty ducks and they pointed out that, basically plays like a hallmark christmas movie except without the christmas and it kind of does yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it really does um oh god yeah this the yeah there's so there's so many of those good joshua jackson in mighty ducks that was one that i had forgotten about i forgot he was in that that movie but maybe joshua jackson just a little lad mm. yes, he was <laughs> he so. was a baby he, he really was just a little baby in that movie. But Bruce McGill is who I'm talking about. And D-Day, not Mayday. But yeah, Bruce McGill, great character actor. You, you see his face, you know who you know I'm talking about. But uh, yeah, not in this movie, though. Oddly enough, there's a lot of stunt casting in this movie. But uh, <sighs> Including this is- Joshua Jackson, very mm-hmm. briefly, in film class. So this is... This is Jay's second awesome uh, segue into the movie. I just want to point out. He has I've brought tried, us yeah, to the movie twice to get, <laughs> to get you there. And... <laughs> yes. And yes. Anyway, for those who don't know and haven't caught the hint yet, tonight we are covering Scream 2, released in 1997, a year or just under a year from the first film. Um, so quick plot synopsis. When two college students are murdered at a sneak preview of Stab, a movie based on the events from the first film, it's clear a copycat killer is loose. Sydney, Gale, and fellow survivors, Deputy Dewey and Randy, have to find out who's behind this new murder spree before they all end up dead. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. so Scream 2 was directed by Kevin, nope. Directed by Wes Craven, the master of horror, just like the original. It was master, written by Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> okay, that's another day on Donahue, but go ahead. So. <laughs> uh, it was written by Kevin Williamson, who started developing it during production on the first film. Yeah. Um, very loosely developing it. If you can find the original script pages online where some scenes he would just write in parentheses, Wes will make it scary while he was writing. (laughs) (laughs) My gosh. (laughs) And Marco Beltrami returns to do the music. Um, Now this film, due to the success of Scream 1, it's hard to imagine now, but when they dated this film for release, James Bond and the Titanic moved release dates because they were afraid to open up against this movie are given you the, serious yeah Ooh. given the success but, of the original hmm, to be fair in 1997 let's look at the the titanic was considered to be a bomb waiting to happen because everyone thought james cameron is off his mind he spent way once again has spent this unreal amount of money to make a love story that we all know how it ends the boat sinks spoiler alert and i mean that's what, how everybody <laughs> talked about that movie until you saw it 
And then you're like, oh, wow. And in 1997, it blew your mind. And I saw it several times in theaters, hand raised. So mm-hmm. fan there. And that Bond movie was in the middle of Pierce Brosnan in the Bond like trash bin. So it's not a yep. good Bond. So. Yeah. <laughs> I will die on the Pierce Brosnan is my Bond Hill. No, he's not a bad Bond. That's not a good Bond movie. We're talking about Tomorrow Never Dies, right? That's not yeah, Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah, yeah. Yep. That's that's a horrendously bad movie. It's a evil newspaper edit. Give me a break. Anyway, yep. so, Jonathan Price is great, but no. So, like, yeah. I mean, I know everyone thinks Rupert Murdoch is like this evil genius. He's really just a businessman. He cannot launch nuclear weapons from a submarine. Okay. That's not, um that's that's the premise of tomorrow never dies but it does have some good kung fu action in it but it's uh, not a good bombing so i get like why the studios would be like massive horror franchise that just changed the genre because i would like to remind people that before scream happened horror and particularly slasher horror was in the dumpster like it was bad y'all like there were there weren't good ones there weren't good ones being made all the old franchises were dead and Scream started this whole revolution that lasted for about eh, six, seven years. And it's a glut of like 20, 25 movies that all made a lot of money at the theater, varying degrees of quality, but they all made a lot of money. So I get why a studio would go like, mm, we ain't touching that, you know, because <laughs> I mean, this movie was going to make some dough when it came out. It did. And- it was. It would. It had big. It had really big names in it. Julie, I think you and I probably have the same recollection. Everybody in our school went to see it multiple oh, yeah. times. Uh, and sure. it it really it sanitized the horror genre. I mean, let's remember this is the late '90s, but in the '80s, horror was about stabbing and boobies. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was every yep. horror film. It was we're gonna we got to get the girl topless, and we're gonna mm-hmm. stab everybody we can. And that was what that was what horrors were. I mean, I'm not talking like you know. I mean, we had the good horror franchises, but uh, Wes Craven really invented something new that we see, like you said. I mean, they're just spinoffs of this genre through the early aughts. Well, it's, it's the self-aware, self-referential horror. And, yeah. and your horror yeah. movies made for an audience that not only has seen all of them, but the characters have also seen the all characters of them. realize they're in the middle. Yeah. Of a so movie. so there's fun to be had in that. Right. That's the yeah. that's the Gen X twist of all of this. And it's what makes it kind of neat. And, you know, you couple it with with incredibly dated soundtrack music which <laughs> I, I, i'm just gonna say now i own the screen two soundtrack mostly for two songs but um <laughs> i i did raise your hand if on your bingo card to come out of the the alt grunge rock era you had Everclear as the band that would last <laughs> <laughs> everybody put your hand now because none of you did <laughs> so, but yes their song uh when sarah michelle geller gets it in this movie was one of the reasons i bought the uh, the soundtrack the on, on cassette tape after i saw oh, this bonus points <laughs> when it opened but yeah uh, i was late to the cd revolution but yeah um no, th- this was a different era. And you're right, Tom. Th- this movie has a lot of stabbing and a lot of blood, but they went away from the nudity aspect because, and Wes Craven is kind of really ever since the last house on the left, where I guess he just did all of it at once, decided, I, you know, I, I don't want to go for this because he famously said that, like, I didn't have any in Nightmare because. I think there's one scene where Heather Langenkamp like takes her shirt off and her back's bare for like a second. He like worried yeah. about that. He's like, if this much blood and this burned guy and like bare chested women are going to get me like an X, like I can't do that again, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. And so he was like, okay, we'll just do the blood. And he kind of always leaned into the, we can do the blood and we can do the, the language and, and stuff like that. But we, 
are going to go away from the other side of it. And this, this movie franchise has always steered away from the the sexuality aspects that sort of live in horror genre and slasher genre. Like Scream has always not been about that, even though that was a subplot of the original movie with Sydney finally sleeping with her boyfriend, you don't really see anything. It's just them kind of making out on the couch. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I've always thought that was, this is in, an interesting note in horror lore is that this movie series never goes there and really kind of downplays all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think a lot of I, I we see that a lot in the 90s in general too with other movies as well like um what was the I guess it was right before this and the Alicia Silverstone Mark the Crush? Wahlberg No, uh, Mark Wahlberg. Was it was it Mark Wal- who was that? Hold on. It was like Alicia Fear? Yeah. Fear. Oh, that's Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon. Reese, yeah. I'm sorry, Reese Witherspoon. And there's a lot. Sexual. There's a lot of sexual. But they don't content. show anything. No, they there's a lot anything. of like. Yeah. They don't show anything, but they kind of show everything too. That like, role, that that yeah. Ferris wheel was pretty. Uh, yeah, that yeah. Um, that's a that's, yeah, that's a different yeah. experience. That movie, yeah, we could talk about that one another day. Like maybe Valentine's <laughs> Day. That's a good one to come oh, back that one. into. This. <laughs> saw that movie now, with my mom in the I theater got both your daughters <laughs> whatever he says i mean it's just yep, yeah yep. This, yeah that's a creep fest man so, <laughs> so, so jay since you weren't on last year for one to cover the original screen what tell the listeners what your history with the franchise is oh so like i and and you got to go way back in the archives for for uh film strip but we did all four of the original ones years ago and then anthony you and me and and our friend Corey um did uh the new screen when it came out this year but i saw this i saw the, all of them in theaters and i saw the first one after it had been out for a while and had been a hit and, and i was at a point in my life where i really wasn't going to the movies that much um there was a a good swing where I just was kind of doing a lot of music stuff and people kept telling me like you need to go see this and you go see this and the girl I was dating at the time wasn't really into horror movies. And I was like, and so when she went out of town for the holidays or whatever, I was like, okay, I'll go. And I just went and I loved it. And I thought this is awesome. And I ended up buying the VHS of it. So you're more Gen X point creds. And uh, (laughs) so when I found out they were making another one, I was like, oh yeah. So when this came out, this released in December of the year, which was when my school went on break and I lived in the town that I went to college in. So all my friends would leave for the holidays and I was just working. And so I, I went and saw this when it, came out and i saw the third one and then saw the fourth one years later and then i went and saw the new one too because I, I was interested in it but um yeah i've seen all of them and was a big fan of that first one and i'm not a huge fan of any of them except the newest one i i kind of liked and liked some of the cool stuff it was doing but i, I famously have uh hashtag thoughts about uh, the scream sequels as i i told it that he would he, he pitched me like here's things you can be on for spooky season i was like oh scream too that's that's mine because i i i have a weird relationship with this movie i've probably seen it oh i don't know a dozen times in my life since it's been released and it is like a Mission Impossible tape. It re- erases itself every time I watch it because I, ca- <laughs> I cannot remember the detail. I know like the broad strokes of what happens and who the killers are, all that stuff. 
but there's something about this. I always conflate it with one of the, you know, I really, this in part three just kind of meld. And, and I think I throw some urban legend in there and the black <laughs> Christmas remake, the first one, like all kinds of stuff just start mixing into the screen memory. And I don't, I don't know what I'm watching anymore. And so I always have to remember, I'm like, is this the one where Dewey survives because of some random medical? Yeah. Okay. And is this the one where Gail has a calf implant? Maybe. I don't know. You know, I have to think about what, what this, this, one is and i'm like oh yeah this is one where jackie from rosane's the killer somehow <laughs> and, and timothy oliphant for half of the movie thinks he's a good guy and then they change the script because it leaked and he's like oh i'm the bad guy <laughs> so he does a stephen jeffries impression from the original fright night if you don't know what i'm talking about go watch that dude. that's actually and a very good comparison <laughs> and go watch his really in scene because he's doing that whether he intends to or not and uh yeah and uh Liev schreiber i said for years that when yeah. he leaps on the stage at the end that he just showed the people that made x-men origins wolverine and just said look i can do that see <laughs> 10 years ago guys like that was his, his tryout for that and um yeah i i don't i this movie is uh is again it's one of those that i'm like i should like everything about this it is everything i want but it is not <laughs> and there's just something about it i come up short on every time i've watched it so now it had been a few years since i i revisited it when when the new scream came out i watched the old original one i didn't watch any of the rest of them uh, and i went and saw scream five or five cream whatever you want to call it and um uh, so I, I hadn't watched this in years. So it was fun to go back and, and rewatch it to be on this show tonight because it had been a good while. And sure enough, I was going, wait a minute, would Randy dies in another one? I'm like, oh yeah, it's a videotape. Never mind. Yeah, you know, like I forgot what happened, you know. So it's yeah, where's Heather Matarazzo? Oh, that's not till later. Yeah, so yeah, so I I I I conflate this movie with a lot of things. I will jump in here then before you hand it over to Julia and Tom because I love this one this is one that i put just under the original i may even have seen it more than the original and i think the reason i love this one is because this is really the film where sydney gale and dewey become sydney dale gale and dewey that endure through the rest of the franchise and become the characters everyone loves so much um but i love the college aspect <laughs> mm. uh i thought it was a good follow-up you know i love the whole the old accused wrongly accused uh killer comes back uh and he's a suspect again this time around i just love the homage to mrs Voorhees with mrs loomis and whether or not uh you know that worked because i do if i have a sin with this movie my biggest sin with this movie is i like being able to in mystery movies have the chance to figure out who the killer is and there is no chance to figure out. You can figure out it's her, but you don't know the motive because you don't know she's actually Billy's mom until the reveal at the end. So yeah. that was my big sin. But I love this movie. I thought it was fun. It gave me more of the same. New rules, same cast. Love it. Julie and Tom, what are your histories and overall thoughts before we dive in? Um, First time seeing this one was today. I didn't fall into the scream craze when I was growing up. <laughs> so I didn't actually see this one before today. Um, I remember being so surprised how I liked the first one, right? Because Anthony's mm -hmm. always said, I know you don't like horror, but try this one because you might like it. So the things I really liked about this one is they kept all of that stuff that I love, particularly how they dial into the whole sequel aspect of things, right? Where it gets very meta. I appreciated that 
so, so, so much. Um, and then the second thing I appreciated most was the roll call of nineties boys that I thought were super hot. <laughs> right. And they just like kept coming up. I was like, Oh my gosh, Luke Wilson. Oh my gosh. Timothy Oliphant. Oh my gosh. Like all of them, um, which was super fun. Uh, the acting was like way less good in this one, <laughs> just like way, way, way. The dialogue really not as good as the first one. Um, so I struggled with all of that stuff. Um, so really I was in it for the cameos basically, um, and how they perpetuated the, the thing that makes scream different and wonderful to me as a, a not huge horror fan. So I liked it. Um, but it, it pales greatly in comparison to the first one for me. Eh. I'm not a big fan. Uh, I really did miss Matthew Lilliard and Skeet Ulrich a lot. They were so endemic to what Scream was. Uh, and after watching it last year and then watching this one this year, eh. Don't worry. Skeet Ulrich comes back in the sequel. I know does he does. He? Yeah, he does. Um, yeah, because like yeah. Um, the cast is is all right. I mean, we have some good some good pinch hitters off the bench. I was a big fan of Heather Graham. Did like seeing her in this. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just, it didn't do it for me. So let's I run think. through the cast real quick then, because you brought up the cast, Tom. Nev Campbell, David Arquette, Courtney Cox will return. I'll say, I was a huge fan when I saw this of Courtney Cox with the red highlights. I thought she looked amazing. My when favorite I saw this. line in the movie nice streaks because <laughs> nice we only called them streaks in the 90s right. yep. I, can i say i may be the only person in this podcast I, I, that never watched a single episode of friends so my courtney cox like knowledge is a bruce springsteen video and other movies <laughs> she's been in. i don't know her from the thing that she's really famous for oh, and, um and i didn't watch it then and i don't don't watch it now so i didn't get the jennifer aniston joke where they made it one about like you know nude photos on the internet or whatever <laughs> it was I my face it was jennifer aniston's body yeah and i was like <laughs> i mean i remember going like i don't get that i was watching with some friends you know after it had come out on video and they're like friends and i was like don't watch it They're like i work on tuesday nights i don't watch it so you know, whenever that was on so um Dave schreiber coming back too Lee yeah. schreiber jamie kennedy they all come back uh oh. Sarah Mich- yep jamie kennedy yeah can i tell you like for years i was convinced they had recast kane brandy and a friend of mine was like no that's the same dude i'm like no way I'm like that. That is not the same guy. I'm like a little like you know stole patch and a little duck flip <laughs> on the hair and lose ten pounds and he's a totally different cat, man. He's not the same guy. I was I was like wow. I, I did not know. I'm not a Jamie Kennedy fan, uh, but uh, I I really thought like oh they just recast it. <laughs> it wasn't the same dude. It seems uh, like a lot more time has passed between. Yeah, than just a year yeah i'm like that that seemed i mean he must have changed quite a bit either that or as as um rick james told us cocaine's a hell of a drug and, <laughs> <you know. laughs> have you uh, all seen jamie kennedy lately no oh, yeah he looks oh, no. awful he cocaine is a hell of a drug <laughs> <laughs> mm. Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer herself is in this movie. Sarah Michelle yeah, Gellar as C.C. Cooper in a very yes. memorable scene that people is a highlight for many people. Uh, Laurie Metcalf, who we just covered recently during the Big Bang Theory, covering the Big Bang Theory, uh, plays Debbie Salt in this movie, aka Mrs. Loomis. Jerry uh, O'Connell and Luke Jerry Wilson. Jerry O'Connell. 
Yeah, Luke Wilson is in this movie. G- Jerry O'Connell. Hold on, I gotta ask Julia this. I gotta know where Jerry O'Connell falls in this list of cute boys that you were into during the era. <laughs> Cutie McCute face. Because okay. I've always referred to him as like the vanilla wafer of dudes from the nineties. <laughs> okay, I was a big fan of Sliders. Did you ever watch that show? No, but yes. Ron is, and he has told me the same thing that he's a big Slider. Okay, fan, so. so that was where I really met. Mm-hmm. Like I knew Jerry O'Connell from. Uh, stand by me days and all that stuff but yeah. like i really met jerry o'connell and sliders and i really love sliders so like that's my jerry o'connell and nobody can ding it because okay people, have, people have told me i need i need to watch sliders <laughs> i've never watched it but i hear it's quite good so i'd love to watch it again mm-hmm. because i'm sure it's looks its age but um it was a delightful show mm-hmm. Uh, Timothy Oliphant's in this and uh, <laughs> doing his best Matthew Lillard from Scream 1 impression. <laughs> no, he's doing Stephen Jeffries meets Clint Eastwood. <laughs> um, that, but I am, a, I am a mark for Timothy Oliphant. I've always liked him and stuff. I think he is he's like Harrison Ford in that kind of smart rascal face kind of person. And, you know, Dennis Quaid's in that you know, category and all that. Mm. They just sort of, they're not really leading men, but they can kind of be your side guy and they can be fun and they can also be sinister and, mm-hmm. uh, or they can just be outright weird. <laughs> the old fan does all three of those things in this movie, uh, which is amazing. Cause again, he was in three different movies. I think at one time or another. Oh, Who am I? Okay. So, <laughs> also clearly, older than everybody else except yes. maybe laurie metcalf and <laughs> um, um uh, lives robert <laughs> he's the one from justified right from yeah. Justified. Yeah, that's him. Yeah. yeah and we I have covered him. him on this show before on the office he was danny yep. cordray the traveling mm-hmm. salesman yeah i get him and josh duhamel confused they do have like, a similar name. look yeah. Yep. yeah so i was trying to explain to marty i'm like it's josh duhamel but it's not josh duhamel you know the guy from the 90s <laughs> who's not josh duhamel and he's like i don't know who josh duhamel is and i'm like <laughs> Married to Fergie? <laughs> Transformers movie? Right, exactly. It was the guy that was married to Fergie. You remember that? One? Yeah. I don't know which one you want to be more famous for. I used to be married to Fergie. Oh or I was the star of the Transformers series. <laughs> uh, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith has a memorable scene in this film. Uh, yeah, uh, look, J- Jada was like, this was prime Jada, like <laughs> coming off of Different World. She had been on, uh, she'd been in like Minutes to Society, Jason's Lyric, you know, she was all that. And then the next guy you're going to talk about, who's, you know, I, I just talked about him on Filmstrip in, in the program. Oh, my Her husband hadn't hit anybody yet. Yeah, <laughs> Omar Epps, who we have covered on the show before, is Dr. Foreman on House. Yeah, uh, and then you speak of 90s, 2000s actresses and actors Rebecca Gayhart, Portia de Rossi, yes. Joshua yes. Jackson, uh, you know, Tori Spelling, Luke Wilson, Heather Graham, Marisol course, Nichols is in this. I mean, Marisol yes. Nichols is in this as Donnie. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, so- Dwayne this, Martin too. That's like a side. Like people know you know the face when you've seen Dwayne Martin. He's like the funny <laughs> black friend, and that's kind of what he is in this movie too. So it's, but I love, yeah, I love his character in this movie. And this David Warner is, as a as a drama coach. By the way, the irony that's not lost on me. May so he we're going to talk peace. about Sydney's choice of major and and all that in a little bit. But yeah, that's funny. So. <laughs> 
this and, cast is almost as impressive as Greg Araki's nineteen ninety seven movie Nowhere. The one you, you always don't know that bring one up. either. I do. I'm cover always bring up with all we've the nineties actors. We've got to cover it for a Patreon episode. I need y'all to watch it. I've thing. seen it because you you, have, you talked yeah. about it, and now it's like I the worst movie ever, it. isn't it? It's not. It's not even close. But it's, it's pretty awful. Bad. It's but awful. I still will. I still present to you, sir, after last season, which is free on YouTube. And you should just go and consume and then go listen to our episode of me trying to explain it to Ron and Brian for nine minutes. But yeah. And you left at the big name, though, man. Roger Jackson. Back I was about to say, ghost, ghost as Ghostface, yeah. the voice who makes this whole franchise, honestly, yes. it would not be the yeah. same without no. that. And Voice just the like the, the first one, he's on set actually doing the thing while they're supposed to be talking to him, which I usually, usually you think like all that's just done in you know loop, but they actually had him there doing it so that they could react to his voice. So. Unseen by the rest of the cast because they didn't want the, them to get to know him. Yeah. And uh, Sarah Michelle Keller famously between takes would just pick up the line and uh, just shoot the breeze with him while waiting yep. to ah, reset. That's fantastic. <laughs> yep. Um, so. Yeah, so let's dive right in. And it's important to note, and I'm sure we'll pick up some of these discrepancies as we go along. They were halfway through filming this movie when the first one of the first big script leaks of the internet age happened, and the original shooting script ended up online, and they had to rewrite as they went along mm -hmm. and uh, change a bunch of crap, including the fact that in the original script, there were four killers. Derek, Hallie, Cotton Weary, and Mrs. Lupus. And then they had to huh. change everything as they went that's, along. That's why you watch the first half of this movie. Part of it was shot. And there's scenes with Timothy Oliphant, who clearly doesn't realize he's one of the killers. <laughs> <laughs> then there's a part where they tell him that, and he changes the way he performs. It's like, <laughs> you shouldn't have told him that, because now it's obvious. <laughs> Man, I need so, to rewatch it now. <laughs> yeah, like go, go watch some of that. That's it's funny. And what's funny is that one of the big scenes, I know we'll get to it, Anthony, but where they're having the sequel discussion in, in the classroom or whatever, that was done after all this was done. And they realized, like, Sir Michelle Geller's only in the scene of her death. Like, we need to establish her somewhere. <laughs> so they go back and do this. And this is after all of it realizes he's the killer. And so, he, like, if you watch him earlier in the movie, then you watch him there, it's like, well, obviously it's that guy. He looks insane. <laughs> like, his hair is all messed up. And then he's like, Mr. <laughs> cool you know being fun at the party later and i'm like that's not the same dude like so, so yeah it, it's funny how that that works you know because some so like he clearly did not did not keep the secret um, but... so yeah this film starts out the same way the original does with a big opening kill scene this time this film takes place a year after the events of the original two years it, two years it, two okay years. Yeah, it, two years a, the movie in real life is a year it's two years because of two things and I've, I've heard kevin williamson say this said that we we didn't want to have to try to explain how all these mid-20 year olds were still in high school so we said let's get out of that <laughs> two let's not have to deal with parents anymore so how do we do that college <laughs> there you go so there we go <laughs> Smart. And a lot has happened in two years. The events of the first film have been, you know, Gail Weathers got her blood money. She wrote a book based on the events, and that book has been turned into a movie, Stab. And it is 
Avengers Endgame level hype at this movie theater. <laughs> Everyone dressed up, getting free ghost face costumes, plastic knives, a whole different world than if you tried to dress like that oh, for a movie nowadays. I've oh, never been world. to one of these, but I've heard Ron describe going to these midnight showings of the room where people like throw spoons at the screen and stuff. And I can only imagine what? it's somewhat like what this movie is like. Because I've been to some big movie premieres, never in a big city or anything, but they would like where they're handing out stuff and like, no, there was none of this madness you know so i have been to theaters like this they okay. are not they are not the same after the aurora batman shooting from 2012 yeah. when they yeah. cracked down on everything yeah but uh yeah this was not i mean <laughs> it was a little exaggerated but it was recognizable um i don't know if a small college town in ohio would get this crazy but yeah. new york might yeah <laughs> It's, it, it seems a little much, but, you know, and I said that if you go back and listen to the old scream too, like I, I wor I've worked in college towns my whole life and I work in a large city now that has, you know, colleges in it, but I've worked in small college towns my whole career. And I just used to go like, there's no way you get this. But then like some years later, uh, Melissa McCarthy decided to do a premiere of some movie she had in Auburn, Alabama and of all places. And it was like a big deal. It was, nobody was like stabbing at the screen and, you know, anything like that, but it was like a lot of people. There's a big deal. And I thought, well, I guess it can happen. And if, to, the problem that I have with it though is like I needed Mrs. Loomis to somehow be like one of the executive producers <laughs> involved with this and who had organized some of this because no one makes any sense, but okay, sure, you know. I, uh, but you say like it's, it's it opens up with the double kill, it opens up with Kevin Williamson going. I'm going to talk about the elephant in the room. Nobody wants to talk about with two of the elephants to talk about it. Black people in horror movies. And then That's we're going right. to kill them both anyway. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm here. Like I, I remember watching this and of course I know who Omar Epps is and I know Jada Pink and I'm just sort of riffing on their whole, again, there's a, there's a rhythm of dialogue with Kevin Williamson movies that just cannot be simulated any other way except watching them. And they're doing this whole back and forth about, I don't know, you know, culture and sentiment. And it's funny, at, but I'm sitting there watching this now and I'm like, that would be a hell of a podcast episode these days. There weren't podcasts <laughs> back in those days, but these two would have, that would be some good download numbers before they both got murdered heavily in the, you know, 10 minutes later. But I mean, like they're having like a really fun discussion and I'm like, oh, so what are you trying to say? And I realized many years later, Kevin's not saying Jack. He's just, <laughs> he's just taking a couple pages out of Entertainment Weekly and Jet and throwing it on the screen because this one's getting made on the fly. And, and I didn't I didn't realize how much of this movie got written as it was happening and a lot by the people involved. Like Omar Epps has pretty much said he and Jada mostly made up half of what they said. And, they and that's something they it. poke fun of in Scream 3 yeah. when yeah. it takes place in Hollywood and the script is changing every day because exactly. of leaks. But Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, but huh. it, is, it is a fun it's a fun way to get into the opening and it's a, I think they have really fun chemistry and I'm, I'm really sad. I know we need people to get killed at the beginning of a horror movie but I was sad to see them go because they had so much better chemistry than anyone else in this group <laughs> the rest of yes. each other yes. including Courtney Cox and David Arquette who are about uh, to get married I was going to say I yes. bought their chemistry you can tell those two are falling in love 
you can tell those two are sleeping with each other in between tanks. I don't know if they're falling in love or not, but they clearly are hanging out together a lot. But they, but they have no chemistry with each other. Maybe like chemistry. off camera, but it, Wes, Wes Craven's good at a lot of things. Capturing romance is not one of them. And that, that is clear. In, in Did you see movie. the original Nightmare when he had Freddy's tongue in Nancy's ear? He captured oh, romance i've fairy. also seen music of the heart and, I, and that is what i will say sort of that statement <laughs> <laughs> and that may be the scariest thing Wes craven ever made <laughs> no but this opening scene i think is fantastic the idea that he gets up to go to the bathroom Ghostface kills him puts on the costume which they were handing out for free mm-hmm. and sits right down next to her in a crowded theater for years i thought the ghost place plan of killing this boy was to give him whatever disease he was going to get through his ears from putting it on that public bathroom wall i'm like look bro i don't know what town you grew up in but no i'm not even that like was- i'm gonna kick the door open with my foot if i'm going to the movie theater bathroom because i know how much they were paying the 17 year olds in my little town to clean those things up so <laughs> i can only imagine what it was like in a college town uh, so yeah so so you're saying it was ultimately a mercy killing i mean i think mean, i think we could talk it up to i think the whole like mumbling these that timothy oliphant because that's who's doing almost all of these killings except for like i think one in, in the movie is it, what he's mumbling to himself is not mommy should i kill him that's what is in the subtitles they just put that into cover he's going like i don't know he's probably gonna die in a couple of years anyway he's gonna be real painful like not through the year he's good like i mean really like i mean um also like good placement but i want to ask a question are are the knives in this particular screen movie more swingy than any other horror movie you've ever heard in your life there's lots of blade cleaning and lots of like game of thrones i i I said for years like replace the cocking of the gun with the unsheathing of the sword sound And this movie, it just feels like someone in the Dolby ADR room was just like, I, I got a really good one. And they just laid it over every two seconds of the film. I mean, it's, I don't know how they got that. I'm like, whatever piece of aluminum foil underneath a canopy with a cat in the background, you got to get that noise. Like, that is a that is some cinema gold right there. It's a great noise. I like it. And I like the opening death, too. The opening death is eerie when she goes up and dies in front of the whole theater. And- no one realizes I mean, she gets torn up too. can we talk about that like well first off i mean like they have this whole diatribe out front don't let the humor of this get lost on you about how like how black people are totally misrepresented in movies and then what do they have these two people do yell at the screen which is a trope about supposedly what black people do in movies which is why people yell at movies uh, too okay the line was gold though when she shouts check up the phone and 69 is Exactly, which I think I heard someone say in Halloween H2O when I saw it in a theater, by the way. But anyway, I I, I thought that was like, I'm like, there's some funny in this, but then she gets torn to pieces in that theater. And I'm like, this, well, you know, though, and Randy will lay out the sequel rules for us later. And I will give him credit for this. Not only did they 
lay those out, but they're going to play them at the same time too. It's always got to be gory in the sequel. It's always gory. Uh-huh. Like Jaws 2, Halloween 2, Friday the 13th 2, to some extent Nightmare 2, that that's got a different divergence. Like the, they all get gory in the sequel. Hellraiser 2, it's uh, which is amazing to say that it gets gory somehow in the sequel, but it does. I mean, <laughs> they, I mean, they, they do. And, and I, I like that, that we open with that and we get this whole it's just such a big smash cut to Windsor college, which I think this was shot partially in like Georgia and partially in LA. Like there's a couple of different campuses that this is supposed to have been on. And I think I've been on one of the campuses because part of it looked really familiar through the years, but um, it, it's funny that we, we go from that making a star 69 joke to Sydney's actually got the caller. ID, the caller ID, right? which was, yeah. which was a nice touch because she's getting a bunch of prank calls. Cause it's opening weekend of the movie. And, uh, oh. There was that famous statistic that after uh, Scream 1 opened, caller IDs like jumped up some insane per- percentage in American homes after that mm-hmm. movie. So it really it did. Nice like they, they, AT&T tracked that for years. They could have like a whole, like they, they said that that movie made that technology more accepted and more on demand than ever before. And for every, all the kids that listen to the show here, let the old tell you, you used to not know who called kids. You used to have to pick up and go, hello. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and yeah, and it's uh yeah, it that that was a I remember seeing that in that cordless phone she had with that incredible antenna on that it. amazing antenna. Yes. That should have been used as a weapon in this film. Right. I it could <laughs> unsheath the antenna. It, it also had an unsheathing sound to it. Um it not unlike the knife, but yeah, I, I got a kick out of that and um you know, Sydney's done what every girl from high school did in college. Julia, you can verify this. Cut your hair short. Um, <laughs> you know, freshman year, you know? She did. So, Makes you more serious. I mean, is that and what it is? is that the- I like the is? shorter hair more than her longer hair. I mean, I like Nev any way you can get her, as long as you don't ask her to just stand there and cry all the time, which unfortunately this movie and Party <laughs> 5, that's all wow. they let her do. And I'm upset by that because she's I a mean, good actress, but... Yeah, yeah, I mean, this this girl had an insane shooting schedule. She would shoot this uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, go home to shower Monday mornings for an hour, and then go straight to Party at 5 and shoot yeah. that Monday, Tuesday. So this girl got no rest for months. It's like Michael J. Fox doing uh, Back to the Future and, and Family Ties. He was just running back and forth all the time, <laughs> chain smoking Marlboro Lights. And he had it easier, though, because he had a time machine. Yeah. Uh, is, this, is this the part where we tell Anthony that doesn't work? Anyway, <laughs> no, no, we don't. We don't want to break his bubble. There are you're right. You're true. I, I, I didn't see that. Anthony, never mind. Uh, but no, I, I, I do like um, Sydney's intro here and her friends and stuff. And that's the trope in a horror movie, right? It's like all your friends get slaughtered, and all of a sudden you have a whole new set of friends two years later. <laughs> but that is what's supposed to happen. And she did move clearly across the country to get away from all of it yet you can't get away from a national bestseller pop book and a you know, movie and i used to remember people say like oh, is there any way that movie would have been made that fast i'm like dude john grisham hadn't even written a book once and sold the movie rights to it so <laughs> he wrote the client down on a napkin told them what it was and they're like Ooh, done you know? so yes that can happen and i do think this movie though is future telling 
before our society became absolutely 100% obsessed with murder porn and true crime, this was on the front end of like that, that somebody would become a media star off of that. And Gail Weathers is the original true crime horror novelist here. Yep. And she got her upgrade. She has the streaks now. She is all the other reporters on campus are treating her like she's uh, the gold standard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She, uh, And, you know, the first time we see her in this movie, she's on the phone with her agent, I guess, saying they'd be stupid to pill the film for all this publicity they're getting from this murder. Right. So uh, (laughs) she has not changed much since the end of Scream. Um, But Sydney is, of course, traumatized when she finds out two fellow classmates have died. And she Mm -hmm. goes to find Randy, her only friend left from the original who has also gone to the same college as her because of course that's how it works in movies mm-hmm. and uh he is in the middle of movie class where they are discussing sequels and whether or not sequels suck and <laughs> you know led by all- comedian craig shoemaker by the way which you've never seen his stand up he's very funny and i do recommend he does an incredible barney fife impersonation and uh it's he's really funny uh and to hear him tell it he was like he had like a day free when they were doing the reshoots and i think he either knew craven or knew williamson and they brought him in to do this like craig you can do this just like just do this thing and he was like okay and he had no idea like what movie he was in didn't know what it was hadn't seen screamed none of it and like, <laughs> he didn't know who he said worse i didn't know who anybody in the audience like the the students he didn't know who any of them were because he didn't watch any of those shows <laughs> and so which is, that was, as part of his routine is to pick out young people in his show and go like you have no idea what i'm talking about you know when he's doing it but he said i had no idea who any of these people were <laughs> he said none of them knew who i was and it's great <laughs> so we just kind of did it and but i was like that that would be funny he said but he he did remember thinking to himself this guy he's talking about old man he's like this guy is older looking than me (laughs) 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 and and they just went with it in in the uh, the scene but i i do yeah that's i feel like and i don't think kevin williamson would ever agree to this but since we talked about it in the intro anybody feel like kevin smith wrote part of this dialogue because it seems like something that would be in a kevin smith movie like some of the movies that they're throwing out here i i can see it but I actually love this discussion in this class because this discussion reminds me of the talks like we get into on our podcasts on a weekly basis, like which movie is, you know, the, you know, the sequels are never as good as the original and well, there's the Godfather part two and aliens and throwing out all these big pop culture uh, references. Actually are. Yeah, but, but I don't, I, I don't know that I totally disagree with what mickey says and ultimately with there is that sequels by their very nature are inferior like when you're looking at a movie that's part of a a planned trilogy like something like lord of the rings or whatever like it's hard to grade those because they're so tied together right but Mm -hmm. i I don't care what george lucas ever says there was one movie all right and then there were all these other ideas for things much (laughs) like this one kevin williamson said i know if you ever do a sequel have his mother come back like that was the (laughs) the script treatment for that and they were like hey you want to write that sure you know and that's how that went so he nobody knew nobody knows nobody ever knows they don't know they don't they don't have an idea like they never know and that's that's the fun part and if that's not more evident nowadays than ever having lived in the post george R. 
Martin <laughs> Game of Thrones <laughs> world where the show passes you and then they just keep passing you and now there's like a whole other thing that's like you're that bit that next, next book will never come out I mean like, no one will ever know and I mean really like that no one knows and and I do think that's fun though to have that discussion because people do throw out stuff like oh Empire Strikes Back or Terminator 2 or Godfather 2 and I would go like well yeah, I mean like it, you know, it is a matter of taste. It does it does change from people to people. But in the horror genre, I cannot think of a single sequel that I think is better than the original. Um, and I know everyone wants to throw out Friday the 13th in that pile, but I always feel like that movie, like there was a movie and then there's the Friday the 13th series, which is parts two through everything else. And they didn't really figure out what they were yeah. doing in part four anyway. So, yeah, if they ever, re if they remake that film again, it will never be a remake of that first film because you need Jason right. in that movie. <laughs> right, yeah. they they know that. Well, they did that when they, they did, did that when they remade it. it. Yeah, they yeah. figured that out. Like, well, we're going to get through that in 18 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> they go through that. So, I mean, I, I get it. Like, I, I get where that discussion from, comes from. But I always ask people that. I'm like, well, give me a horror movie where the sequel was better than the original. I have to think on that. I don't know. I don't. I. No, I, I can't. I'm thinking of all the big, big franchises. There's not one. Now, there's not to say, though, that there aren't good sequels and watchable and fun sequels to get into in horror series. That'd be you know, my most of the podcasts I've ever done have been sort of arguing that point or at least you know espousing some of that. But I, if we're going to grade them on a quality level, eh, I mean, that's all I always tell you know, other football fans, too, though. I'm like, if you only grade everything by who makes a playoff or the championship game, well, you're already in a flawed premise. Like, you got to either enjoy the sport or you don't. And, you know, you're just chasing trophies, which in which case you're a fan of one of four places, you know, like that's not, you know, that's that would be boring. Uh, and so, yeah. That's uh, you don't have any of the fun with it. And that's the fun of horror movies is that they don't have to be as good. They just have to give you what you want, but up the stakes a little bit. Right. And the problem with this movie is it does the first part really well. It gives us what we want. We get a lot of kills. We get the same people we want to like. We get a bunch of new people for them to slaughter. And we get this ridiculous reason why. What it doesn't deliver on, I argue, is that it's as fun as the last one. Because what made the last one fun is you get to know all those characters and you actually like them a little bit. Like, there's a great scene between... Uh, Rose McGowan and and uh, um, Nev Campbell after Nev Campbell is like Dex Courtney Cox and they're yeah. sitting over at her house she's like I love it boom girl went down super <laughs> you know, I thought that that is like funny but it's so relatable I'm like yes mm -hmm. like that's I had you know gal friends that's how they talk that's they would do that with each other and I think that's funny you know and like the dudes would talk the way the guys did in that movie too and I'm like I, you get to relate to the characters here especially here you meet people and three minutes later they are meat and it's mm -hmm. i mean like they, you gotta have a body count yeah but if you want me to care about any of them i i need to have some reason to and i know immediately nine tenths of the people in this movie like are either the killer or they're gonna get killed by the killer. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, right yeah yep no you're not wrong you are not wrong although that's another thing this movie does that a lot of sequels do. The greatest hits of the original, such as when Cor uh, Nev Campbell decks Courtney Cox again, because this time Courtney Cox confronts her on campus with Cotton Weary. She brings him out as a sort of gotcha to how do you feel about ruining this guy's life by sending him to jail for a year? So imagine, <laughs> if you will, 
someone from like Inside Edition went up to Ronald Goldman's father with OJ standing behind. <laughs> That's pretty much the way they play Cotton Weird here. <laughs> And I'm like, yep, I think somebody be getting punched out. Yep. <laughs> and probably worse. Yep. But it's not just Gail who comes back into Nev's life, into Sydney's life. Dewey shows up. Dewey with comes. A, Dewey comes with a limp to check in on oh. Sydney and, and protect her. That Western music cue that got used in Broken Arrow, the John Woo movie, too. And I'll never forget that I'm like, Dewey's supposed to be like the sheriff that survived the gunfight at the OK Corral or something here, I guess. (laughs) And I don't understand his whole like, I think they told David Arquette, you got hit by a knife and you got a limp. And that's all they gave him. And he came up with this whole like Kevin Spacey Kaiser Soze thing. (laughs) He he put rocks in his shoe. That's how he he heard he heard himself uh, doing it because he walked with rocks in his shoe on set whenever he was filming. But, but I mean, <laughs> it's like Tom Cruise wanting to be temporarily paralyzed to be born on the 4th of July and they're like no we, oh can't, my we can't give you an epidural Tom so to, to do this but um, I mean really y'all thought that hanging off the plane stuff started that no he's been doing that stuff for years but um, I think he tried to get like actual vampire teeth for interview the vampire I'm not making that up like that's like a known thing but anyway um, yeah I, I, Dewey here I'm surprised he's alive. I'm kind of glad he is. I don't know how he lives through the end of this movie either. Well, it's, it's, like, it. it's like in the first one, they threw him in during reshoots because the audience liked him. Well, and you all talk was... about Jaws 4. There's a cut where Mario Van Peebles gets eaten, and there's a cut where Mario survives. And I feel they both go through about the same effect <laughs> here at the end because Dewey gets cut up in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, spoiler alert for Scream 5, it's about time uh, he finally I, well, got I it. Mean, we all knew, like, <laughs> like okay, well, yeah, Arquette's dead. Like, there's no <laughs> way, like, anybody, obviously Nev ain't going down, so it's got to be him. You know, like, we all knew it. Just but, it. But Dewey is actually my favorite character in this franchise. He's just very sweet and innocent, and mm-hmm. I love him. I love that he came back to watch over her, and of course... He feels, you feel for him when he sees Gail. <laughs> and he is so hurt by her book. He has memorized passages and page numbers like Deputy Dewey. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love this. But, 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 but when he reveals, like, how do you know that's not my way of subtly manipulating everyone so I can hear I'm like, so, Dewey, what you're saying is you're a gaslighter. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, you probably shouldn't have said that, Dewey. <laughs> like, now I have to hate you. So, <laughs> so, yeah. And, <laughs> I don't know. Gail, though, does feel slightly bad when she meets him again and she realizes he's hurt. Does she? I don't she's... think Gail knows how to feel bad. Tom, <laughs> <laughs> um, just put the difference. Does Gail feel bad about anything except falling in an orchestra pit? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, first she gets shot in the rib, yeah, right, and then falls in the orchestra pit. I mean, okay, so it immediately, we immediately go to a sorority party. Um, and did anyone recognize, we have seen this house multiple times on this show. We have seen it in movies. I know we've all seen the house that CC Cooper's in 
home alone as sober driver that is miss trunchbull's house in matilda that mm-hmm. is the inside of allison's house in hocus pocus so we have seen that's why it felt familiar hocus yep. pocus and cc is home alone as sober driver and she gets a phone call from someone she thinks is her douchebag ex-boyfriend tom mm-hmm. and uh nope it is not <laughs> It turns Ted, out to be Ted. It's Ted. Ted. It is Ted. Ted. So why, why would you think? Why would you think douchebag did the name Tom come to mind? I, I, no comment. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure uh, any of our uh, psychological psychiatrists out there want to analyze uh, that Freudian slip. They can do so. <laughs> but. Uh, I all I all I know is that as sober sister, uh, Cece sober takes her, sister takes her job mm-hmm. so seriously, um, which you can tell. But she's sitting there flipping channels, talking on the phone, and just. But the thing in there that also happens that I think I think still exists, but people don't talk about it enough because now you just ignore things. Is call waiting. Remember when like people beep in on you? Yeah, yeah. Big, yeah. and then yeah. Didn't any of you have the phones where, like, if you double click the dial thing, you could get both people online at the same time? Yeah, yeah you could, yes, you could yes. splice them in or whatever it used to be called. I, did not, I did not have that technology, so I've always wanted to hear about what that was like. <laughs> it's magic. <laughs> remember the first time, remember the first time I did that, changed my life forever. Uh huh. And you never thought it would get better or more convenient than that. And now, no, here we are. didn't. I know, right? Now it's now it's so happenstance. It's just it's what you do. But yeah, it's funny <laughs> to think about at the time. You know? I will say that watching this scene with uh, her getting chased through the house helpless with Ghostface going after her is very funny considering she is most known for playing Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Who could... <laughs> Not chased by anybody. Yeah. But that's why she did it. Like the, she said, like she did this and I know what she did last summer so that she could play Not Buffy. And yeah. like, mm-hmm. yeah, and so and she was and like specifically like she the question she asked was like, do I die? And they're like, yeah, she was like, I'm in. <laughs> like, no, I do not want to be. I want to play all of it. And so and that hey, good for server. I thought she was fun. She gets some good licks in, though, too. I mean, she does beat the stew yeah. out of it. Um, which, OK, there are two definite times in this movie where it's obviously Mrs. Loomis doing the killing. It's Randy. this one and Randy. Yeah. And because Nikki's mm-hmm. at the party that we find out talking about the Ewoks and how much they suck and or whatever with Portia de Rossi and, and they do and he's not wrong again but anyway um, so obviously this is Mrs. Loomis and I'm like if you were to tell me Laurie Metcalf now I know Sarah Michelle Geller is not some beast okay but if you tell me Laurie Metcalf could throw her off a balcony hold on movie <laughs> like I can't believe that Skeet Ulrich and Matthew Lillard could do all the physical feats of the last one. I can believe Timothy Olyphant could do all this stuff, but Laurie Metcalf, I'm sorry. That's a bridge too far. <laughs> no. She literally picks her up and tosses her over the balcony. I mean, it, yeah. it is a move that some wrestlers, str- look, Ronda Rousey knows how to knock people out with a single <laughs> blow, and she struggles picking up little girls and throwing them over the ring as a, as a WWE <laughs> superstar. She's still bad at it. And I'm like, and she's one of the toughest women in the world. And I'm like, I, I know it's not really Laurie Metcalf. She probably wasn't even there. But <laughs> like, to, for me to know what this movie wants me to know and to believe that, 
I have to, that's what I'm saying about this movie. It starts erasing itself because if it didn't, you would sit there <laughs> yeah. and go like, what? <laughs> like it's, Richard Janney did a great stand-up bit. I think it was about Jaws 4 actually years ago. And he said, the thing you got to realize is that this movie is stupid and it wants you're stupid too. And as long as you keep asking <laughs> questions, the stupider you get. And I'm, and I'm like, yes, that, that if I'm asking this about this movie, this movie is lost. <laughs> And I, I'll only say the coolest part of this is, and it is, it is a great needle drop. That Everclear song, the way it as he does all on the, the night, I was like, that is well done. Like that yes. is uh, that made me go by the soundtrack. Like I said, so I, I was there for that. It's not just the sound effect with the knife too. It's every time you like, boom, it's like the wind as he like, yeah, moves. Yeah, yeah there's he a whole the- like swoosh. Yeah, with a swoosh to the cloak. Yeah, I mean, all Ghostface needed was a Nike emblem on the on the little <laughs> yeah. dry fit Ghostface. You know, and while while he is murdering Cece, you know, at the sorority party or the frat party, wherever we meet Portia de Rossi and a few Rebecca Gayhart, and you know, the movie's trying to set them up as potential like oh, they sure are obsessed with sydney but i didn't buy them for a second as potential killers um i was hopeful they would be well honestly. go watch go watch urban legend that's all i can tell you Rebecca <laughs> <laughs> uh, as a killer so. if, you, if you want rebecca gayhart channeling timothy oliphant and scream 2 that's the movie you want to see <laughs> <laughs> i think joshua jackson's also in that movie by he, the way. He, he, is. he is yeah so, he is um, yeah, uh, we meet them. Uh, Mickey and Randy are continuing their sequel discussion. He points out that Empire Strikes Back is a better sequel, to which Randy points out part of a trilogy completely planned, which we all know is <laughs> having listened to the behind the scenes stuff of Star Wars. <laughs> um, well, it's still so, better planned than anything that's happened Star Wars wise in the last 15 years, so that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> We don't talk yes, about that. I said it. I, all, all, all you you Mandalorian fans can miss me. I'm sorry that that show was cool for three episodes and it was boring. So, <laughs> I think I just broke Tom. But yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. That's no. That yeah. I, I do. I do. That we're trying to, to get between these things. Now, I will say this: that having worked on a lot of college campuses, one thing this movie gets right about a college campus is how darn dark and creepy it gets at night. It does mm. get like even when there's a like a lot of nightlife on the campus that's happening on the fringes because legally that's where it has to happen and i mean like really like we know that and like the middle of campus can be a freaky place in the middle of the night it's dark Mm -hmm. like they they invest in a lot of lights but not a whole lot and having run through a lot of them in my life i can tell you they're i think i would point people to our halloween episode last year when you were on campus recording and you mentioned you had to walk back to your car in the middle of the night like midnight after we finished yes yes (laughs) i had to walk the good uh half mile it is from my office to uh to where uh my my car was at the time so uh, that was lots of fun but uh yeah but yeah i, I mean it is a it, they're dark places and it's a good setting like I, I will give this movie credit for finding a good setting mm. of doing that i think the college it, it solves the adult problem one and two it's it's a fun place because there is so much freedom and access but there's actually not too because these buildings get locked up pretty quick and you can get 
lost in them and yeah um yeah it's it's pretty it's pretty cool some of the stuff that they they have though i don't know a single college outside of usc's film school that has nearly the av room that dewey and gail <laughs> but you know yeah sure but yeah maybe i don't know itt tech or something but yeah none, none of those other ones <laughs> we ain't got none of that you know so, so well, yeah it's <laughs> well Obviously, Cece's death makes it over to the party, and everyone, yeah. with morbid curiosity, begins to leave. Sydney has left her coat inside, and rather than Derek, the chivalrous boyfriend, going to get it, he says, oh, I'll wait here for you. And I assume that must have been when it was still from the original draft when he was actually a killer. Yup. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Sydney goes in, the phone rings, she can't help herself, she picks it up. And it's Ghostface. And Sydney is defiant. She's like, well, why don't you show your face, you coward? Mm -hmm. And instead of through the phone, you hear him right behind her, my pleasure. And uh, (laughs) one thing the scary movie spoofs do very well is that first scary movie is <laughs> how beat up Ghostface gets because Ghostface <laughs> is tripping, getting crap thrown at him in these films. He, is. He, he literally comes out from behind that door and falls over a potted plant and trips over the couch as he's trying to get to Sydney. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of, I guess that's, I guess he was like that in the first one, right? Just like balls to the wall wild and yeah I, but, I, mean, I hadn't remembered that but i remember thinking this time dang he's clumsy but really it's just he's determined i would also say he might have been drunk if this is mickey he was just drinking at the party <laughs> That's true. yeah I, th- I think it is i think because because debbie salt or whatever is covering the cc kill as a newswoman as her right. third alter ego or whatever and so mickey's had to slip out and do the the call to sid and and do all this stuff now um yeah, yeah. so this and is mickey so D- derek runs in to be the hero and he gets slashed on the arm conveniently missing every major vein and artery as randy points out later on yeah so our friend ron has an interesting theory about this and it goes beyond the fact that what we know is that they were rewriting the movie so they changed all of it at the time because it was for the reason that mickey lays out later he has this theory that mickey is like this gulf war vet um that has ptsd that mrs loomis has recruited and he also would have that knowledge and that's yeah. why he was able to do this so like you know it's not a bad theory uh, it's, <laughs> it's kind of a, a scarier one because american snipers now become a slasher movie but okay like i'm i'm there i'm like i i can i can follow you with that so uh huh. it, yeah it's very interesting but they do something after this though and i want to ask you about this they do this whole elaborate chalkboard thing where everybody's name matches somebody else's and i'm like oh are we gonna are we really gonna try to do that because that's what that's doing some real horror homework and then they just drop it they (laughs) drop it right after the scene and i can't totally abandon it and i cannot find anything as to where like if williamson actually had ever written anything out about that or if he just stuck it in there and then the, i don't know why this is there but this scene has no business in this movie because it does <laughs> nothing other than go what what okay so who is it and you start trying to do names on people and then you realize like oh it doesn't even matter anymore because that was actually go play practice david arquette's <laughs> father playing the police chief it was oh yeah yeah mm-hmm. 
but yeah, no, I noticed that the fur the more I've noticed that when I watch it too, Jay. And every time I watch it, that part annoys me. Like this doesn't go anywhere. And even if it did, at some point the cycle would have to break because neither Gail nor Dewey nor Sydney nor Randy died, and this ghost base is targeting all four of them. Right. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Like there's a there's a flaw in that matrix as much as there's a flaw in the matrix all of its sequels uh but yeah it's it's pretty bad I, but it's not the thing that annoys me most about plot contrivances in this movie i gotta go around the room and ask here <laughs> why is sydney a theater major of all things like that makes no like she would be Handling like a her trauma or a writing major dude you did not that is she is not <laughs> the kind of personality that would she's playing cassandra like that's a perfect role for that's what she's on been through the nose. like that <laughs> Look, one, any good drama teacher would go, I think you're a little too close to this. We need to cast you. Yeah, like, yeah, oh, not the, not this guy. He, he was and like, you get back any on that therapist stage. worth their salt would also go, you don't need to be involved in that activity. It's yeah. not a healthy. But once you start a journal, you know, I mean, really, because in Poor later Sydney. sequels, she becomes like a crisis counselor, which I could totally buy. If that Sydney one makes sense. Yeah, yeah, like become a social worker. Like, yes, I'm with you, girl. Like being a theater major, that was like that's only so we can play on that stage. Like, yes. That's the only reason that that's in this movie. Well, you know what? Like, I'll say about that stage during rehearsal when they're all in the masks and the strobe lights, dude. and she sees Ghostface in the robes, like with the real. I love that scene. That scene's creepy because he's really there, though. Too. He's really like, there because yeah, that's. I mean, she, it's well done. No, yeah. I, but I, as a plot device, it's cool, but it don't make no sense. Is what I'm trying uh -huh. to say. Yeah. Tom and Julia, I think y'all would agree with me. Like Sydney would not be a theater major. Not at all. That wasn't her. Mm -hmm. I mean, that wasn't her personality in the first movie. No. Why that would be, no. Oh. Yeah. Tatum it's would have been the theater be. major for like a semester, like maybe. But yeah, <laughs> like no, that is not. Not what she does. Like One of the scenes, though, I really love is around this point, and that's where Dewey and Randy go to get some Baskin Robbins and talk through the suspect list and the rules of sequence. <laughs> <laughs> but before they get into the conversation, they're they're Randy's going about going on about the movie based on their lives, about how David Arquette is playing. Playing Dewey and Tori Spelling is playing Sydney while he got a random stage quote in one episode of Dr. <laughs> Quinn Medicine Woman. <laughs> and then you get the fantastically acted bad scene from the original with Tori Spelling and Luke Wilson. Yes, <laughs> Luke Wilson. And he's going on saying really His corny hair. stuff like, Oh, that's the way the cookie crumbles, Sid. My mom died too. <laughs> so good. It Can we talk so about funny. how Gail has written a book though with scenes in it that she has no knowledge of at all, unless somebody told her, and that somebody should have sued her for it. Because so, that, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, maybe that's Liberties how she afforded this private liberal arts college in Ohio. She got some kickback off that true crime novel, but. <laughs> <laughs> that movie money was paying for that because tuition ain't cheap as mickey will let us know but, <laughs> but i love when they're watching that clip and as soon as it's over neither of them are oppressed and randy's just like i'll wait for video and yeah. we're talking about uh <laughs> the rules of a sequel the body count's always bigger the kills are always gorier and what was mm -hmm. the other rule there it's, was always, it's always uh somebody else you know or something like that it's, it's some other plot thing they drop the biggest things are the, the body counts bigger and it's always gorier you yep. know mm -hmm. the stakes are higher 
and and you know it, it's all about misdirection and then i love how they both drop it though when they're like well if i'm a suspect you're a suspect <laughs> exactly <laughs> like the it's like the two of them said like dude let's get really high and just overact as much as possible <laughs> they have to use one deal <laughs> i think that's probably how that takes randy out. pegs mickey right away though mickey the freaky tarantino film student <laughs> mm-hmm. but if he's a suspect then so am i, so am I. yeah which i'm like going was this also when nikki wasn't one of the people because we don't know i don't remember when this was shot and he also does name drop mrs loomis too mrs loomis was a terrific serial killer he which... talked ta- well, ta- about mrs Voorhees. yeah he, he, Voorhees, has, he Voorhees, has introduced yeah. that idea but he talks about how it could be hallie the roommate Candyman's daughter which is a horrible joke but um that's that's jamie kennedy by the way kevin williams is like i did not write that <laughs> <laughs> everyone to know that that is Jamie's thing. Uh, but yeah, um, <laughs> there's that, which is kind of a funny joke. But uh, but there's there's that, and then oh, he lays out. It's the way he lays out everybody. I mean, but it's it's there to set up the. We had the rules discussion last time, so we have to do that yep. again, right? Because it's mm-hmm. this is what we do, right? I mean, in Jaws two, Roy Scheider has to have another discussion with another marine biologist about. Could one shark be destroying another shark because it's some, some shark's mother or what? That that's actually really not a computer in Jaws 3D. Just some, some shark's mother. But uh, anyway, um, but yeah, I mean, really, they you have to have the shark discussion, right? And so this mm-hmm. is this is that. Like we have to do that. But the, there is a nice little moment here too where Randy accuses Gail, and Dewey's like, "Now Gail's not a killer. She's a lot of things. She's not a killer. She's not a killer. Yeah." yeah. Which and. I, I kind of wanted Gail to be the killer because it would have been way more interesting. Because then she had something to do besides <laughs> run around. Well, and- she she has something to do right away because they team up with her and try to solve this case. And while they're in the middle of campus in broad daylight, she kept getting calls from her agent or whoever, and then it's Ghostface and he's watching mm-hmm. them. So Dewey and Gail have Randy keep her have Randy keep Ghostface on the phone. And just start going around like pulling cell phones off random students, like tackling Let's random. Just kill weather's of intuition or whatever. And you like, also Whoa. couldn't do today. No, yeah, no way. Because <laughs> like literally everyone. Right. Well, yeah. Also, and no one today. has their phone up anymore. They've got what Julia's got in her ears. Like right. You pull those out on right. Like, like no they're one. talking to themselves. Yeah. Nobody's gonna do that. So I I hear you. I so mean, you're gonna uh, pull it out and put it in your own ear. Right. Yeah. No. <laughs> No th- speaking of <laughs> speaking of Omar Epps problems, no, yeah. let's, not, let's not do that. So. But, but the scene is actually if I because of Randy was such a fan favorite character. This affected a lot of people in theaters. I mm-hmm. didn't see it in theaters, but it affected me. This scene got me the first time I saw. It. I didn't want him to die. He was a fun character, and uh, I, yeah. Apparently, the rumor is that Jamie Kennedy was just so hard to work with. That's why they killed him off, and then they had to come up with some random reason to bring him back for the third one. Because oh they, no, like, oh crap, we don't have explaining this. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the now again. I'm I'm just that's you know IMDb rumor mill, but apparently that was part of it. But it's also that I think that's part of his thing in the sequels. Like there's always a, like a stake raise, like somebody die, mm-hmm. anybody can die or whatever, and then right after that they kill him because yeah, yeah. so when you watch it again you're like oh obviously he's foretelling his own death which is yeah yeah, yeah. but I, I love the whole conversation he's having with Ghostface, like you know telling him to be original yeah <laughs> 
right before he dies, he goes Does drop off OJ on, in that. Yeah, he drops cool. OJ, son of Sam. <laughs> Uh, and right before he dies, he insults Billy Loomis about what a pansy mama's boy he is. Yeah, and it's yeah. right around that time the Gale's van opens up and Ghostface pulls him in, and uh, a group of students go by with a boombox. Like <laughs> that was so random. <laughs> yeah, that was like a scene out of Higher Learning and like Michael Rappaport's Nazi group just stumbled onto the set for a day or something. <laughs> I was like. Okay, Rap Rock is here. <laughs> Dude, I just on. I just saw the episode of Blackish with Michael Rappaport and it was <laughs> epic. Any episode of <laughs> any episode man. of anything with Michael Rappaport is hilarious. Yeah. He is a personality, that is for sure. So, uh, but but yeah, they have to take out um Randy here because it's part of raising the stake, you know, and that's the yeah. whole point, right? Yeah, to have a death. And uh, he first. was sliced and diced when they find him. He was covered in blood. Yeah, pretty and, gross. Uh, yeah. He had a lipstick mark on his hand, which is the uh, first time you get the impression it may have been a woman killer. I did not oh, notice that. I've never noticed, noticed that. that. That's a good pickup. I did not know. That. I didn't either. Mm. Yeah. Very interesting. Uh, but again, to your point, Jay, from earlier on, <laughs> Ghostface is throwing him around that van, and this was Mrs. Loomis again, and Lori Metcalf. Uh... Like Timothy Oliphant choke slapping Jamie Kennedy? Sure. <laughs> Jackie from Roseanne? <laughs> no. <laughs> like, nah, and, uh, eh, a lot of things you can do. That probably ain't one of them, but okay. <laughs> so, I mean, Jamie King's not a big dude, okay? Well, maybe he is now, but he, he wasn't then, and, and so... I, but please. I do Lori like Lori Metcalf's like a miniature person. So I, I do like how it's after this death that Kale's cameraman just ups and leaves because there's a we got bits and pieces of him throughout the movie where he's reading her book and she's like, You didn't tell me this guy's not with the union anymore. What yeah, you yeah, decapitated. You didn't get decapitated, you got his throat sliced. I made that up for the book. And I'm like, yeah. whatever, he's not here. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, I, lo- I love that though, because again, that they're still playing on that original the opening scene trope of black people in a horror movie. The joke from a lot of black comedians is like, no, we just be out. You know, I mean Jordan Peele made a whole movie about it. Going, nope. You know, and he does it. He's like, no, I'm gone. So, he goes back at the end to do his job. But yeah, I, I thought that was funny. I'm like, I like Dwayne Martin. He's like, you need to get your head examined. I'm gonna go over here and shoot the Mayday parade. No, I'm not here for this this is not what i do anymore and uh yeah the wisest move in the thing and they do they do something smart though they're going to get sydney off of off of campus at some point and i, I don't really i don't want to talk just about jerry o'connell's incredibly bad singing um in the uh in the but i don't know where y'all went to college none of the fraternity guys i knew had like necklaces most of them no. had rings like they might give their date something but it wasn't anything corporeal yeah no. what i did what i did like about the necklace though she actually does use it during the climax right it that's why and, she gets it is so yeah. she can have a weapon and but, i do like that she has that throughout all the further sequels like she no, keeps it's, that on it's her. true she until the newest she one when she's obviously married to somebody else who would be like mm, maybe we can we can put that away yeah you're married I, to mcdreamy now you don't need that anymore. yeah I'm like well is that okay yeah we never established that but yeah um so yeah that's i mean that's I'll, I'll get one to do that, but I like how they're going to get her off campus. So we're going to get the smart move. Uh, it's a great scene too, where Leah Schreiber like like 
confronts her in the library and the two maybe gay maybe not gay cops beat the crap out of him like they yes. had a good scene in the in the thing and i'm like i don't know if that was shot before or after he thought he was the killer but he plays it like he is and i'm like and honestly i know you're not supposed to sympathize with cotton weary here but I kind of get it. You locked me away for a year. You took away a year of my life by mis by wrongly accusing me. Just give me one interview. Mm-hmm. I get I'll it. say this too, though. The fact that it was only a year of his life, knowing like how crime act like criminal trials actually work, it would be more <laughs> yeah. like five. <laughs> yeah, you know. But I'm I'm happy that it wasn't more than that for him. Uh, but uh, no, I'm, I'm with him. I'm, I'm with Cotton. Like, yeah, she could she could do Diane Sawyer or whatever. Uh, <laughs> which I'm like, man, is, was that a way to get rich back in those days? I didn't know we were totally paying for all that back in then, but maybe we were. I don't know. Now I have a question. Did they make Hallie go with Sydney because the original draft she was one of the killers? I, my understanding is they made her go with her so that they could have an excuse to kill her. Okay, because she wasn't going to go with her and then she was going to show up and that was going to be part of the reveal like all four of them were going to reveal themselves at different times and then she would ultimately get cornered by them was the yeah. idea and and so i think like she would have shown up in that scene doing things again physically that would not make sense for that actress to do but okay <laughs> but at that point they're like no we have to kill her and we have to do the halloween two nurse kill like we have to lift her up off the floor and that's that's <laughs> what they do which well this is but, there's that I mean, that's a gross scene with the cops like the way one of them gets final destinations you know by the yep. plank and the boy like that was there's some gross killing so that scene. was a happy accident on set the way of went through his head perfectly when they crashed the car the dummy's head perfectly <laughs> it's an odd sentence like, oh the dummy's head uh, um, i'm glad you clarified that it was the dummies yeah and i was not, like that's a happy um, but i yeah, love not, to see this scene is fantastic and it's tension filled where they have to climb that's the cop car yeah. they can't get out through the back so they have to climb through the front over the unconscious ghost face and out the window it's the only yeah. time there's any real tension and i'll give the movie credit for this is like we finally got a confined enough space where there's actual tension happening i think they try to mirror it a little bit with gail and dewey playing in the av lab when they're separated by the glass and the ghost face mm-hmm. comes in and, and gets dewey but yeah um it's good and but you know sydney does the same dumb thing that Laura strode does in halloween resurrection and probably this new movie too based on the last trailer i saw is we got to take the mask off like what do you expect it to look like like this is, let's worry about that at the trial like let's not do that now um but uh you know good continuity work though to give mickey like a good eyebrow bruise you know from the the head injury in the in the car yeah um, once it's all said and done but yeah um but of no. course yeah and they i love it like they climb over him they accidentally hit the horror and you think for a second he's mm-hmm. gonna wake up they get out they're halfway down the street she's like i gotta go back i need to know who he is by the time she gets back to the car he's gone and he appears behind hallie and kills her yeah in yeah, hallie and that's when we run back to the uh back to theater the theater and where tough. where Dewey and Gail were going through old footage because they realized if he's been watching every move, we might have footage of him because Gail's been videotaping everything. Joel's been videotaping everything for Gail. So they start playing it all. They end up, uh, you know, flirting a bit. Like, you look cute when you're angry. (laughs) And they start making out on the desk when they realize it's no longer Gail's footage. It Mm -hmm. is Ghostface and 
I love this scene too. Like uh, get Dewey getting killed in the soundproof room, and uh, while Gale is in the on the other side of the soundproof air, glass. Air quotes around getting killed, killed. <laughs> again, again. They he I, had to have actually died, and then they threw him in again, again at the end oh, for the but with an ADR line. Because as someone with a lot of scar tissue, I'm certain it can do some things, but it probably can't do that. Can't, can't stop the blade. Yeah, especially that blade. Holy cow, that's like a oh. deer gutting blade that wow. Ghostface is running around with now. But no, um, but that's supposed to be the tension builder. And I can't tell you how much I realize Dewey's a fun character, and I kind of like how he ultimately ended up. But I think it might have been more impactful had you actually really whittled the cast down, and it just became Gale and Sydney after the end of this. Like if he was really gone, like that would there's like serious stakes now i'm like okay movie's getting serious now but they're gonna pull the punch and you know it's it's hard to not know it once you've already seen it you know um, yeah what y'all think about the way that Derek got um tortured by his fraternity brothers and hung up like yes let's hang him in the one place where it will be really bad for him to be not in the middle of campus where it'll embarrass everybody let's go to the theater where no <laughs> one is I don't and know, you like, can't even say that was Mickey's doing because Mickey was in the car chasing the no, girls. That is happenstance. That like <laughs> that is the worst. Thing. Like that fraternity needs to be shuttered for a lot of reasons. Yeah, <laughs> like cuts on his body and mm. yeah. I mean, good, is that good. not how y'all were hazed into a, your fraternity, <laughs> bro? I was not in a fraternity, but no, <laughs> I don't. I don't get Greek life. It does not look appealing to me at all i i was for any greek organization that wanted my lousy cover band to come play on friday night I, whatever you want proud mary twice you got it so here we go <laughs> so no problem just like heaven here we go you know and so yeah that's... I, I did like how throughout the movie though and then again in this scene here so sydney goes to the theater derek is tied to the cross essentially mm -hmm. and ghostface shows up takes off his mask well he's like don't you know that history repeats itself and then he takes off his mask and it's uh mickey and i do like here and throughout the movie he's been trying to yes if you were sydney you wouldn't necessarily trust your fully trust your boy you'd always have a little doubt too after the last time your boyfriend yeah. you'd think you would yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. or you just assume that you've already, you know, this has happened once. Surely it's not going to happen again. Like <laughs> I mean, unless you're John McClane, when <laughs> you're fairly prepared for it at all times. <laughs> you know, and you train it's, your son to be this way too. So if you're to believe the entire mythology of the. Uh, uh, which Sydney eventually does throughout the movie. I mean, until they stop paying those acting fees, apparently. So yeah. uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get into another day. But yeah, um, I, I do like his reveal here. And I like just how insane <laughs> Timothy Oliphant is here, just completely bonkers. It's like, he's like, okay, if I'm going to be the killer, y'all, like, I got to be just nuts. So like, okay, <laughs> go for it. And I'm serious. He is doing Stephen Jeffries from 976 Evil and Fright Night. Like, go watch that. And you're like, ooh, we're channeling things. Like, here, this is. And <laughs> Timothy Oliphant is like an actor. Like I like how he switches driver. like on a dime yeah. too. He's like, yeah. oh, you won't trust him. You won't trust him. Bam, he shoots him. Poor Derek. All he ever did was show you love, Sydney. I know. He's just so nuts. And it's, I mean, <laughs> it's I, I give Timothy Oliphant credit for knowing what 
a horribly <laughs> badly constructed movie he's in at this point. And maybe I'm a minority in that opinion here, but I think he realized like, hey, this is really dumb, but okay, we're, I'm going to be the shark now in Jaws. <laughs> and so he just becomes like the Bond villain at the same time. Like he is, he is ridiculous. <laughs> he's even, even almost as ridiculous as Jonathan Price in Tomorrow Never Dies. That's a close <laughs> running right there in 1997 for most ridiculous villain. <laughs> but it turns out he's not even the brains behind the operation because Derek mm-hmm. is raised once again into the rafters and from backstage comes becomes Gale held at gunpoint by Debbie Salt who Sydney immediately recognizes mm-hmm. as Mrs. Loomis Billy's mother yeah Billy's mother <laughs> what a line being is unbelievable the way he got that and I'm sure like somewhere in the back Craven's going like I, okay, so <laughs> we, we gotta get this out, y'all. So let's just we'll just go with it. So, um, but yeah, that the it, it's funny. I I do love how Sydney's he's like, this is a lot of work, you know. <laughs> yeah, because oh, Gail's like, I interviewed her, and you know, that's yeah. I'm like, well, she say fifty pounds and a lot of work later. He's like a makeover. It's called a makeover. Yeah, Laurie Metcalf is just indignant about all this crap. Like, what movie am I in again, y'all? Okay, and so. <laughs> Just go watch Friday the Thirteenth and do that, okay? <laughs> That's pretty much what she does here at the end. Is she does that, uh, Mrs. L- uh, Mrs. Voorhees? She does Mrs. Voorhees here at the end, which is funny. I mean, I, I love, I love her whole thing too. And her and Mickey going back and forth, where she's like, "Yeah, I met her on a chat board. You know, it's kind of you know, college is expensive." And I'm like, you know, like Mrs. Loomis, like just signed him up for student loans, like his own name. Like he has no idea. Like she ain't paying that. Like, oh, well, like, yeah, we were very quickly there are not on the same page because <laughs> he wants to get caught because it's all about the trial in the right, 90s. Yeah, Johnny, God, uh, pay my legal fees, you know, or whatever. I mean, it's, yeah, he's, he's nuts. And I, I, lo- I love it. I love it. She's like, he's like, be any trial. She just gets him down. And I'm like, I don't know who was more uncomfortable holding the gun in a movie ever more than Laurie Metcalf. But clearly has never put her hand around one in real life and did not know what to do with that but she sh- she shoots him dead and she reveals her motive as good old-fashioned revenge for what she did to her son yeah yeah but i like how city flips the script on her just like she did before she's like okay fine and this is what makes city a fun like final girl is that she will just trash talk with the best of them. <laughs> yeah. she she's, like, like, she's like you really oh. did a bang up job with him mrs Lewis. Yeah, like, hey, I've got all these incredibly overly expensive college special effects here that no college theater department possibly can afford. So let me unloose that hell upon you. Like, this is like Halloween Havoc WCW production. All like, they didn't have this kind of money. Like, 1997. This is pretty good. I was, I was impressed. So City did have a good line here, though, when she's being cordial. To your point, when she's she can go back at them, she's like, you're forgetting one thing about Billy Loomis. I- killed him and then she takes out the necklace and that Derek gave her and blinds her briefly there goes our zero edit yeah (laughs) (laughs) I I think that went out the window a while ago Tom (laughs) it did but but that was the first time there was a pause long enough for me to say something (laughs) (laughs) I mean fair I I, that person on the show so (laughs) 
But I want to ask y'all though, what do, what do you make out of the fact that these Scream movies, at least these first two, end with, and the third one is two for that matter, end with like an incredible amount of gunplay. Like for a slasher movie, that that's kind of the joke. Is like if anybody had a gun, that's the end of it. That's the end of Halloween. You know, like everybody gets a gun and becomes like a Clint Eastwood movie all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of place. It's the final, uh, it's like the uh, insurance policy, right? They don't want to have, they, it's more fun to torture these people with a knife, but if they lose a knife, okay, we have the gun. Well, I'm going to take care of this with the gun. That's the my gun rationale. Should, the gun should shorten the experience, but it doesn't. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. It's like, it, like it somehow elongates all of this. It does. Hot and weary shows up. Some for some reason in the school at 3 a.m. Because the script tells him to. Yeah. There's no other reason for him to still be in this movie other than it's your scene, Liam. Okay. You don't want to be X-Men. Now's the chance. So yeah, Tim, for your point, he does this giant leap over the orchestra pit and lands like in a crouch on stage. Ridiculous. <laughs> ridiculous. As if this movie can't get more ridiculous at this point. It's like so oh. let me ask you, was he seriously considering shooting Sydney or was that oh no, you can no. look at it in his face the way he's talking to her the whole time like if you will just get over here so I can shoot that lady like, he's like <laughs> yeah. signaling her with his head the whole time. <laughs> yeah no no I, I I I totally buy his whole like Woody Allen thing at the end like Dude, you said you know I would never ever just he does that whole little like he's a foot tall even though Liam Schreiber's a foot taller and 40 pounds heavier than everybody on the set at that moment yeah. kill everybody there with a single blow but whatever they said maybe all a fan so but yeah he's already dead but yeah well no no he comes back for a fight he jumps up uh, with the knife yeah i don't know what creature from the deep thing timothy oliphant decided to do there the mummy movie he tried to resurrect because that's out of nowhere yeah no i i never thought for a minute he was but i did like i cotton like cotton you know gunned her down like i that was good like sydney shoots her in the head but she's dead like she, yeah. she ain't coming back like yeah. i i i did like how cotton like gets gets a true redemption in and then of course he does get the the big moment at the end but yeah because it was fun yeah, at the end they walk out. It's all of a sudden dawn. The cops and the ambulances are all here. And uh also, what would have done more damage to Gail? The bullet that quote grazed her LL Cool J style in LL H2O, or the fall into an orchestra pit? It's not shallow. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think that might have well, done more. Well, damage. I did like the lie con where he had to her too. Like Jesus, Gail, you have more lives than a cat. Well, I mean, it's like Tom Cruise in Collateral. No, nah, I just shot him. The bullets in the fall killed him. <laughs> that's what uh, really uh, yeah i mean I, I guess we had to have for them i don't I, we couldn't have it everybody die like you you know they they were going to go do another one that i don't We've think got 12 more movies we have to make right yeah <laughs> well i mean they didn't they didn't know but i think i'm pretty sure uh at that point uh courtney cox is a huge star they're not going to whack her in this movie even though they thematically yes it would have made sense but that we, we we've we passed that station a long time ago we're not doing that so that's yeah making sense no, we don't need none of that we just had a chalkboard that tried to make sense we just just dumped it <laughs> but you know what well, this didn't make any sense yeah you know what let's not ever refer to it ever again okay <laughs> well it is morning now they've survived the night the cops and ambulances are all here 
Joel comes back, like, let's shoot the story, Gail, just like in the old days. Like, what old days? He disappeared like, like yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the old days. <laughs> um, but before she can do her shot, Dewey gets rolled out of the school on a stretcher and he's like, Gail, Gail. <laughs> and uh, in that she voice. Climbs- <laughs> <laughs> she climbs into the back of the ambulance and she decides not to do her shot and all the other reporters swarm Sydney and she's like don't ask me ask Cotton he's the real hero she gives him his moment and Cotton's like there's a time a place and a price for everything but let me tell you it'll make one hell of a movie <laughs> and then we pan out and the end um, the original script did end with the pan up and ghost uh, third ghost face was watching from the clock tower mm. uh, which given scream three and you find out uh, <laughs> there's a mastermind behind one and two uh, could have made sense but I guess I decided not to go there yeah. <laughs> kept waiting for something like that right yeah because you know there's another one coming it's inevitable yeah. at this point I think yeah I think we all knew and then we got it and oh well Scream and then I started watching the credits, mm-hmm. and then I was like, "Oh, they didn't." You didn't do, do that, that back then. Yeah. Back then. See, Marvel has <laughs> ruined this, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> so you expect like, no, that's. The, I mean, Ferris Bueller told us ten years before this, like, "Go away, the movie's over." Yeah. <laughs> right, right. So, like, yeah, no, I, I'm with you though. I'm like, oh yeah, but man, I mean, again, something that can only be in the same way. Collective Soul sings you out of the movie. I'm like, well. <laughs> It it's 1997. Is if it works? <laughs> well, they, they do all those shots of the cast too, like to the <laughs> to the song, like right. as if we just watched a feel good movie. All the shots of them smiling, and I'm like, it's like the end of the Predator when they all like, you know, yeah. You know? <laughs> it's, like, it's like last time on Full House in the Jungle or whatever, you know. That's... But yeah, Scream that... Three, Scream Three next year will be a really interesting conversation because that movie is like completely. Oh, a different formula. Yeah, that's gonna. Oh man, <laughs> that may test my metal to ever watch that again. But <laughs> we'll see. In fairness, it's better than ninety percent of the Halloween sequels. Oh, ouch! And I disagree strongly with that statement. <laughs> so now I have to come back and explain to you how wrong you are. So, so. <laughs> Well, we have we established last week that we do have the Halloween equivalent now of a Linus moment. We have the Winifred moment. Did this have yeah. a Winifred moment? No. No. Cotton no. saved her without needing money. He no, he <laughs> saved her because she like the the second she says she'll do Diane Sawyer, he's like done. <laughs> You're dead. There's no Winifred moment. It's just a Christmas movie. No, yes. no circumstances. <laughs> it was released well, at Christmas well, we time. Said, I, but no. By even Todd standards, this is not a Christmas movie. That's Correct. true. They don't mention candy canes or anything. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know what time of year it is. That's the thing. Like, it's not like, is it the spring? Because it, it's mm. not fall. There's no Halloween around. There's, Mm-mm. I mean, you don't even know when this is. So. Well, I don't think they know, don't think they know when it sororities, right? That would be the beginning of the year because they're trying to rush the sorority. So now you know that this is like a really posh school because they have a football team. 
Jets. <laughs> otherwise, people would be all about some of that too. Derek would have been a quarterback. He'd been, he would have been Cush. So, <laughs> if only we could have had the Jerry Maguire scream crossover. I'm going to tell you though, I know I just joked about it. This is a Christmas movie, but a scream, a scream sequel in the snow. I'd, I'd like to see that. Change it up a bit. Hmm. Sure. That would have to be, that would have to be too non. That would have to be too descript. I I don't know. I mean, that could work. I mean, depending on how you concoct the story. But I mean, um, Scream Six is going to be a legit Halloween. It's set at Halloween in Manhattan. Yeah, it's supposed to be so. in New York too, right? Yeah. Yep. So it's it's doing all this. So I, yeah, I don't know. Um, I told I told you if they go the Jason takes Manhattan route with the new one, where it's ghost ghost face on a boat killing people for eighty minutes and then only ten minutes in Times Square, I would applaud them for being. So- so actually, I would, I would I would also give that a pass. That would actually be a great piece of cinema humor and, a, and an incredible waste of $95 million, which I would applaud someone trying to do at this point. But no, I, I don't think they're going to light it on fire like that. <laughs> I don't think they're going to be allowed to do that. Maybe right, like well, two minutes. Like that's, that's all they'll get. Well, Jay, since you are the guest here, we will let you rank this first on a scale of one to 10 mind you the future of you coming back on the show depends <laughs> on your uh <laughs> for this soundtrack <laughs> upgrade it and then it's got half ideas and and it it's well shot it looks you know good all that stuff and it can be kind of fun it's okay like as far as part two slasher movies go i've seen a lot worse also seen a lot better and so for me this is about a four and a half and five it's watchable it's fine i gave it a small popcorn back in the day and i kind of stand by that because that's about where that rating would go uh, mm-hmm. so yeah it's not i mean because i the thing is though that first one is so good and it really yeah. is genuinely good and fun mm-hmm. and there's so much rewatchability to it this one i don't care about anybody i want to but i don't and the movie doesn't even ask me to so yeah I, it's it's just not one of my favorite go-to horror sequels of all time but it's not the worst thing i've i've seen leprechaun too it's not the worst one i've ever seen <laughs> <laughs> Tom saw Leprechaun 2 as well. And then we couldn't record about it because my internet went out that night. Tom, and I, I, made I, I, I point you to the film strip archives where Ron and I have done all of the Leprechaun work for you through the years. Just, <laughs> yes. we, we, we alternated between St. Patty's Day and Halloween for several years just doing <laughs> Leprechaun movies. So just search, search Leprechaun in the feed. There they are. Tom, what would you give this film? Two. Julia. Four seems right. I give the well, I don't even remember. I give the first. I think I gave the first like a nine or ten because I love the first. Mm-hmm. I'll give this a seven. Give this a four point oh. three. A, a four point really? three. I love this one. It's the Luke Wilson, isn't it? It's it's gotta be how that. dare you? It's the, no, no, <laughs> Julia, it's the streaks. It's, it's the, the streaks. streaks. I, she ne- she's never looked better i will die on that hill so it's a weird hill to die on because that's a true statement anyway so. Uh, <laughs> so that actually puts at number seven on our list halloween list between garfield's halloween adventure and beetlejuice wow beetlejuice rated lower than, higher than this than beetlejuice you two are the ones who like lowered Beetlejuice if you listen to the episode. Oh, Beetlejuice is like terrible, but it's fun. 
<laughs> that, I mean, that's it's it. bad, but Catherine O'Hara is given a capital P performance in that movie. I mean, it's now Jay, I do, Jeffrey Jones's face just unironically. <laughs> come on. I do have to ask you, Jay, since you will not be on for the Halloween 2018 episode, Ron oh. will be on for that. Yes. Uh, just very, you know, very quickly, you know, what are your thoughts on that film? Like overall thoughts on that film? Because I'm curious what you think. I, I, will, I will go spoiler free on, on it. Uh, it's really well made. It's an interesting concept. I like going in a direction where you, you really are just going to pick up from the initial one and you're going to correct what Carpenter himself says is a problem where you have the family relations. But I also feel like the movie suffers from the fact that it's like, we're not going to do any of those other things, but then we're going to do all of those other things <laughs> and in a smash cut for an act and a half. So um, it's not bad, but it's not my favorite thing. But I'm I'm a sucker to see you know where they go with it because Halloween Kills was a completely different experience. So I was like, well, all right, we just made a rock and roll Jason movie out of Michael Myers finally. Okay. <laughs> and then uh, but yeah, I'm I'm curious to see where it ends. But 2018 is fine. It's good. It's I would put it like right in the middle-ish of the Halloween regular. I think I did even Anthony when we did that show. Um so yeah, I put it like right in the middle of them. But um you know if I'm gonna go to watch a Halloween sequel like this two and H two O it's probably two and probably four and yeah and maybe six I before I jump into the you know even H2O I don't think H2O holds up very well so but, no, but, I, but the timeline we were I remember we were yeah, the but like we at, this, the, at this point yeah. I'm like yeah, timeline schmimeline it doesn't matter so. <laughs> yeah eventually they'll do all those movies anyway where they do the multiverse Michael movie and they bring in all the Michaels Please, from all the timelines no. like. <laughs> I kind of I kind of believe I think there's a 80 yard line in Halloween 2018 where it's supposed to be Donald Pleasance's character or Dr. Lubis going like it needs to die let it die I'm like yeah I'm kind of there I'm like I love these movies but yeah, it's probably time to move on y'all like, like I like Motley Crue I don't need them to make any more albums like, it's okay. like, stop like I, I like Def Leppard don't make any more records guys it's okay <laughs> Jay, this was fun. You are a wealth of knowledge and movie trivia in general, as always. You make us look so much better than we make ourselves look on a weekly basis. Yes. I don't know about that, but I, I, I enjoy chopping it up with y'all. It's always a good time and, and really appreciate what y'all do here on this show. And it's a lot of fun. So thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here. Yeah. And before we let you plug your show, because we are going to let you plug your show, obviously. Tom, where can listeners let us know what they think of Scream 2? On all of our social media, which you can find at linktree.com slash tis the podcast. And, and Anthony, just FYI, we do have mugs. I need to talk to you this week about how we are going to sell those mugs Ooh. that you should have in your mailbox before we record next time. Julia got Ooh. hers. Yeah, Exciting. So they are real. Um. <laughs> Yeah, and there's a place where you can get bonus episodes, linktree.com slash this podcast. Click on our Patreon link. You will have heard Jay there recently when we ranked all the films in the Halloween franchise minus Season of the Witch because it had nothing to do with Michael Myers. Um, the movie rules, though, by the way, just saying. That. It does rule. Um, and actually, by the time you listen to this uh, this past Wednesday, you all have heard the similar concept. I recorded an episode with my good friend, Ken, 
who hosts Clearly Trust Book Club. And we ranked and reviewed not only all five Scream films, but also all of the killers in the franchise. And that will have dropped on Patreon if you want more Scream content. So that was a fun episode. Nice. Uh, yeah. So next week we are continuing with all-star intelligent guests who make us look amazing uh next week we have mike westfall of veteran calendar house joining us to cover the muppets haunted mansion and the week after to wrap up spooky month and to drop on halloween itself we are welcoming ron hogan a filmster podcast to talk halloween 2018 the direct sequel to the original one of them <laughs> uh but Jay, again, it's been a pleasure. Where can listeners find you if they want to hear more of you? Yeah, filmstrippodcast.com is where you'll find the link to all of our feeds. We're on all the major podcast platforms. And you can follow the show's social media at filmstrippod. Ron's pretty much always running that social media. Occasionally, I'll throw something out there, but it's mostly Ron. And uh, so you get a good time with that. But me, him, and Lindsay um, put out shows more or less every two weeks. Um, and sometimes we do a little bit more than that. Like during you know, October, we always try to do four or five shows. And uh Happy to have you've had you guys all on. Anything you were just on, like I said, doing the review of the the newest uh, movie, Smile, with me, and uh, we've got we'll wrap up Halloween this October as well. We had uh, Matt Bledsoe from Film Feast on that did Blade with me, so we did a little action horror, and now we've done Smile, which is I guess creepy horror, and now we're gonna do Halloween Ends, which is commercial horror i don't know what to call it anymore <laughs> and then uh we're gonna do a little horror comedy to wrap up the year and uh trying to get one more in there if we can but uh, always fun stuff going on on film strip so appreciate the support just go to filmstrippodcast.com and uh, we have a large catalog of things in there but uh, I, I would also like to say that i if you ever get around to it and i don't know how you would spin it into doing it on this show because i don't think it has much of a christmas angle but if you ever 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 want to touch the great muppet caper i am your huckleberry uh because Ooh. i love that movie um from from the youths till now i watched it a couple of years ago again and i still love that movie so wow we'll keep that in mind even yeah. if we have to do a bonus episode i'm always up to um, talk about the muppets i mean so people people yeah. want to think i'm some like horror hound like i like all of it okay and i <laughs> i love the muppets and then i'll go watch halloween five you know so it's that's me so. <laughs> And I will say about film strip, y'all. Uh, Jay mentioned it. He has a back catalog that show's been running over ten years now. Uh, like and the twelve back, now, I think. So yeah. Yeah, and the back catalog of stuff has kept me entertained on many a workday and many a commute. Mm-hmm. It is a uh, great listening. So check well, out some some in there for everybody. Like we we've got rom coms, we've got action movies. Obviously, we have got a lot of horror movies, a lot of genre movies. We've got dramas. We've got stanley kubrick movies and we just we every now and then we try to class the joint up but you know a lot of times we also do on the dollar bin too so you know we, we can do either or that's that's half the fun of film strip is the, it's it's everything <laughs> well half the fun of our show is counting down to hmm. christmas how much more time is there y'all uh there's 1824 hours until christmas that's that 18 weeks. A lot less than I thought. Wow. <laughs> that's that, wow. that is 10 weeks. I'm just guessing. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that is, is 10 weeks. And that is 76 days. We're at like three months now. We are two weeks from Halloween at this point when this drops, which mm. is insane. 
uh, years flying. Now's the time of now's the time of the year where things can slow down a bit and we can enjoy it a little more. But of course, it won't. But we will be there through on social media and in your podcast feeds to celebrate all things uh, Halloween and Thanksgiving and Christmas and this whole wonderful time of the year. So, do your homework, y'all. Watch the Muppets Haunted Mansion. Download Filmstrip Podcasts and subscribe. And uh, we'll talk to you Monday. Bye, y'all. Take a little walk to the edge of town and go across the track. Where the viaduct looms like a bird of doom as a ship and crack. Where secrets lie in the border fires and the humming wires Yeah, man, you know you're never coming back Across the square, past the bridge, past the mills, past the stacks On a gathering storm comes a tall, handsome man In a dusty black coat with a red right hand
Right. 